That was weird. It's like an echo. Uh, we are... Oh, I've got to start that again. <laughs> <laughs> right. So we are back. Uh, I hope you... We all hope you very much enjoyed the... Is that is that fair to say that we all hope you enjoyed last week? Or do either of you... I do hope people hope? enjoyed it, yes. Okay, good. We're back with Mark Dunderdale. How are you doing today, Mark? Uh, very well, thank you. And Dan Phillips, how are you? Cracking. Thank you very much. Good, good. I'm actually drinking a beer now, um, which no one needs to know, but there we go. Uh, hard, what can I say? Um, and this week, we are reviewing our first ever Power Pro Wrestling. So, how excited are you both to be watching this new piece of Mid-South history? Dan, you go first. Um, so, first and foremost, I have my first bullet point is Power Pro. You, you can get to this, but you, you promised me you'd explain to me a bit more about the difference. Okay. Um, so I want that. And secondly, um, first, you know, I'm looking at it first, the venue's changed from Irish McNeil. Now it's called Power Pro. I'm really not sure. I'm ready for 1986. <laughs> yes, 1986. I, 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 I know the only thing permanent is change, but I don't, do you know what? I don't think I'm ready for change. This I don't podcast, think I like yeah. it. Oh, the simplicities of 84 and 85 are gone forever. Mark, know, would you... Yeah, I'm, just, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm not happy. Mark, how do, you, how do you feel about going through the change and uh, doing uh, Power Pro Wrestling this week? I was excited about it, seeing a different um, arena, different um, how... how th which things were going to be the same as the other show and which things they were going to do differently, thinking back to how... Uh, when SmackDown started, they consciously tried to switch things up from how Monday Night Raw was. Um, my excitement may have um, may not have lasted till the end of this next hour, but um, uh -huh. I'll, I'll let you know as we go along. So, so basically, two things, and I've explained some of this on the on the show already, but I do know from our numbers that people tend to dip in, dip out, and and not listen to us every week. I don't know. Stop breaking my heart. Download every single show. I want. I want. Bill Watts numbers every single week. You're pathetic if you're not listening to every single second of us speaking. Um, basically, two things. One, 986 is a mess for Mid-South stuff. We, we, haven't, we just haven't got the episodes week to week. There's no WWE Network stuff apart from one, which I think is the Ultimate Warriors debut. So basically, we're just finding stuff. I'm finding stuff. I've got over 60 episodes of either Power Pro or Mid-South or UWF to review, which we'll go through. Occasionally, we'll do different stuff. Um, when we just want a break or to review some televisions from, from other stuff, which, which is which is stuff that we're thinking about and we'll be talking about in the future. But as for Power Pro Wrestling, so Power Pro Wrestling is the second Mid-South television show. It aired on Sundays. The main show aired on Saturdays. And this, uh, this certainly this particular show reminded me a lot of SmackDown later on when the brand split ended the first time and SmackDown was still part of canon, but not much happened on it. Is that, is that a fair assessment, Mark, do you think, in terms of Raw was the main show, but you'd get some stuff on SmackDown, but not a huge amount. I'm thinking like 2010, 2011, around that sort of time. Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah, there was, um, yeah, the brand split was a bit of a failed experiment, wasn't it? And um, yeah. And then a few years later, they did it exactly the same way, not changing anything. And here we are. Yeah, exactly. So here we are looking at this, um, this kind of secondary show from Mid-South. And there's a totally different intro video with lots of arena clips um, and a really funky synthesizer style track in the background. And I'm very aware that saying funky style synthesizer track makes me sound very middle-aged. And I am, so just get over it. 
Um, Jim Ross introduced the show and said it would be one of the best shows they've ever put on. Jake Roberts and Butch Reed versus Ric Flair and Dick Slater. Also, Slater versus Duggan and Terry Taylor's return to Mid-South, plus a match from the past with him against Chris Adams. Um, we then cut to Myriad uh, Arena in Oklahoma to join Duggan and Slater in progress with Joel Ross on commentary, who said this was the TV title tournament semi-final. And this match was actually from the show, um, the live event that was uh, took place at the Myriad on December the 31st, 1985. So what a way to see in 1985 and going to this show. And I wonder if Phil was there, actually. I must ask him when he's next on the show. Um, and also on that, we're going to review in a, in a couple of weeks' time, WrestleFest 1985 from Tulsa, which Phil was at. So Phil and Terry will be at, will be doing that review with me in the next couple of weeks. And that's on WWF, WWE Network. WWF Network? I'm not sure what year I'm in there. Um, Joel talked about Dark Journey's influence on the outside and also added that Duggan's girlfriend, Deborah, was in the crowd. Um, Joel said that the Mark Super, Mark Superstar would be there on the show, along with Mr. Saito, plus Brett Wayne Sawyer versus Broadway Joe Malcolm. And that's a match I personally cannot wait for. After nearly six minutes of footage on the show, Dark Journey handed something to Slater that looked like those strange plastic brass knuckles. Duggan then wrestled them off Slater, put the thing on his hand and drilled Slater with it and pinned him. However, the referee, in a rare moment of actually being good, saw the thing on Duggan's hand, reversed the decision, so Slater was the victor by DQ, and the ringsiders were not happy with this change, as Joel said that Slater would move on to the final. Um, Mark, what did you think of this match and the, this presentation on the show from a live event? Yeah, the opening credits included was different from the one we used to. It included all the usual guys with... The highlight, unsurprisingly, from my point of view, being Ted DiBiase. He, he sold a big Jim Duggan punch well and he hit his jumping knee drop. Then it went to the Jim Ross um, introduction. It was just a plain backdrop. There was no Mid-South logo or anything behind him. wasn't too keen on that. Uh, and then we went to this match that was already in progress. Uh, there was a female manager in each corner. So the ECW fan in me expected some kind of cat fight, which didn't really come to fruition. Uh, Joel was talking like it was a distinct possibility. He was commentating as though it was live, but then he was talking about matches coming up, including Dick Slater again. So I knew that that commentary must have been added later. Um, it was, yeah, that bit at the end, Dark Journey passed Slater some brass knucks, and it was only then that um, Deborah pulled her down off the apron, which was a bit like closing the band or after the horses, bo horses bolted. But nonetheless, Duggan did get the mark off Slater, knocked him out, got the three count. But Tommy Gilbert, like you said, reversed the decision. Hacksaw didn't like it. The crowd didn't like it, but it was the right call. So good it on was. It. Absolutely. Dan, what did you make of this? Yeah, so first of all, going back to the name, the professional, well, they called it professional power wrestling, didn't they, on the, on the, on the, on the, on the logo, uh, which is an awful name, but it removes the territory element, doesn't it? So it's sort of a bit like when British Petroleum changed to BP. Um, it means you can go go global. Um, so I think that was the main way. reason for Mid-South becoming UWF, wasn't it? To yeah. take away the, take away yeah, the yep. um, I local made, I, thought, I thought you were talking about the name of this... I thought you were talking about the change name of this podcast. <laughs> oh, we, we don't 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 let, don't let bring that back up behind the curtain. On the, that's this this is that that's off air <laughs> chat, rather than on air chat. Um, so um, yeah, so match one, yeah, so Duncan said, um, yeah, that, well, first start they joined during the match, 
um, which was, as I said, was acknowledged by Joel. Um, it sounded like it was post-production commentary. Yes. Yeah. 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 So. Um, yeah, so I've just got a few little things from the match itself. Slater, um, he was using the ropes to assist the sleeper, but I'm not. Re- it, it didn't really seem like it was helping him. It was just risking DQ for no reason. But I think it was just adding to his hill approach. Um, also with Duggan, um, he sort of hulked up after the sleeper. And again, I know I mentioned this all the time, but he's just a totally different wrestler in mid south. He's just like a, he's good. He's serious. He's mean, scary. And then, like, but the one I grew up with was a joke <laughs> and like embarrassing. And it's really the more I watch him, the more frustrating it is. Um, yeah, but that you be all your all your, what you're doing there, Dan, is my, a lot of the people who watched. Um, I'm just taking the photo of our predictions from last week so that I can save it in the favorites of my photos on my phone for next year. Um, you're you're echoing the sentiments of thousands of territorial wrestling fans who saw their favourites go to WWF. And there's no, no better example than Dusty Rhodes, who is like this perennial, like, you know, working class hero, world champion, who Vince someone dressed up in polka dots. So it's only the same thing, basically, with Doug. Bushwhackers yeah. is another good Bushwhackers example. is a great example, yeah. Um, so there was that. Um, I actually quite liked the ending. So obviously slurring the ropes, giving the knuckle duster, Doug and stopping him, using it himself. I thought it was slick, I thought it was good. And then you had the... The ref found it, a little bit of a twist, went to the fans, you know, they were at a pantomime. You're <laughs> like, oh, it was him, it was behind you, no, no. Like, I really enjoyed it, I really enjoyed it, but I, I really do enjoy Duggan's matches, as I say, and it just really frustrates me about how, say, how he was made into a joke. Next up, Ross talks about the Mars Superstar, uh, and I had to change to a different version on YouTube as the first one was a total mess between Santa pictures. I emailed you the correct link, so we'll move on quickly. Um, we cut across to Ring Announce talking about Pro Wrestling USA for a match between Jerry Monty and Steve Olanowski versus Mr. Saito and the Mars Superstar with Sheik Adnan Al-Casey in the corner. Um, and I couldn't help but do a bit more digging on this. And this match had originally aired on AWA television at the back end of 1984. So the Mars Superstar was coming into Mid-South in early 1986. So I guess this was a way of introducing him further. But I'm really surprised that AWA allowed their tapes to be used in this way. Uh, and there was a courtesy of AWA Pro Wrestling USA sign on the bottom of the screen before the match got going. If you know more on this, do reach out, as usual, at mid-moments on Twitter around AWA tapes being used by Mid-South. Um, the Mars Superstar hit the future shake, rattle and roll neck breaker for the win in 126. Well, I thought was pretty good action. Um, Dan, what did you think of this? So, sorry, I had no idea. I couldn't understand the names of the individuals. So I've written down... Yes. Jerry, Jerry Munzi... <laughs> That's not right. What yeah, was his on. name? Jerry Monty. Jerry Monty. Steve and I wrote Paul Banowski. <laughs> Olanowski. That was, I had to look that one up to be fair. Yeah. Mr. Saito, yep. also known as Mr. Torture. Yep. And the Mars Superstar. Can we, can we also say that when the ring announcer says it, he actually says Jerry, what'd you say his name? Monty. Yeah, he did the, the double. Can we just acknowledge yeah. it? He goes, Jerry Monty. Monty. <laughs> Steve. This is a thing. What's his name again? Steve Olanowski. Olanowski. Yeah. Steve Olanowski. Olanowski. Yeah, this is did a thing. You know, in he's the done 80s. that. It doesn't work. 
It doesn't work. I, I'm pretty sure the, went, the Madison Square Garden uh, ring announcer used to do this in the 60s and 70s, I believe, as well. Yeah, it's just a thing. Mr. Saito, Saito, but then he done Mars Superstar. Mars Superstar. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it doesn't work. Um, I've just put, who are these guys? Um, who, are the co- who are the commentators? Uh, AWA com- commentators, basically, yeah. This is the original, the original Forbidden Door. Um, squash. So that, so I put nice reverse net breaker, but it was shake, crack, and roll, right? So, Hunky Tonks Man's future finishing move, yeah. yeah. Um, they also said that the masked superstar is the number one masked man in pro wrestling. Who, at this time, is he up against in that category? Well, he's not... Mil Mascaras would be a bigger deal. He was still going. yeah. He's certainly not better than Humongous, as far as I'm concerned. So I just thought, he's not like, like no one who's like, oh, he's the number one man in wrestling and the one masked man. So already you've reduced the field to about four people. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, I weren't sure if there was any standouts that um, I have completely missed. But look, you're right, actually, he's probably not as good as Humongous. So he's not even no. probably the number one in his own brand. Although, however, I would say one thing, the masked superstar promos are quite good. Can I also take a note? That the Mars superstar underneath the mask had hair. Yes, yeah. And in previous shows, he's had there has been no ha- locks coming out from underneath that mask. Oh, I see. So he's had a haircut. In the and two, one of the, he, well, or four, yeah. one of the things they say about the Mars superstar is it's always quite vague who was actually it. Okay. Uh, so I think I said before that from eighty six. I think it was maybe 87 to 89 it was Sid Vicious of Humongous this is, yeah. no uh, yeah, that was humongous. I was like humongous yeah so Mars yeah. Superstar that's still so but I think Mars Superstar said I think I wrote before that it's quite vague who it is uh, Mars Superstar yeah there was no, a few different ones yeah, yeah. but I yeah. think it's Demolition so Axe by this point I believe I thought it might have been oh, already is at it. some point He's around the same period Kelly Kaniski, the son of Gene Kaniski, was ma- the mass superstar. I thought this might have been him. Ah, I think on yeah. Cage Match, um, I think on Cage Match, it's dem- it's Demolition Axe by this point. Um, I'll check that. Though. Say he's he's got he's got hair in this match, but in the promos he's got no hair. So you're right; it could just be simply that he's had a haircut. But it's just more about the vagueness of you know. No, we said before the vagueness of who's under there. I just wondered, you know, who who the who is it? Yeah. Uh, Mark, what did you think of this one? And also, what did you think of their use of footage from a different promotion here as well? Well, I, I must not have been paying complete attention. I didn't get the whole part about the AWA. I thought this was the new look um, Mid-South Wrestling. So the first thing I wrote on my notes was the new ring announcer looks the part, comparing him to Boyd Pierce, but he was AWA's ring announcer. Did you say it was the end of 1984? So it was a year-old match we were watching. Yeah, yeah, it was, yeah. Right, yeah. right. Um, yeah, yeah. Here we go. Uh, so it's December, the, December the twelfth, nineteen eighty-four, and it's it is it is under. See, this is interesting because it is under Demolition Axe on Cage Match. But then, if you go back to, uh, so he, they've still got the Mars Superstar in. Um, hmm, what is this? The, the, his his page is, is is a mess because you've got stuff from like 1974 which obviously isn't him and it's got uh, like a match of Antonio Inoki and people like that and it's not his so I do wonder now you've said that as to whether it it may not have been him at this point um, I'll have a look on Wikipedia while you're sorry Mike you, you, yeah I, d- I didn't make a lot of uh, notes really 
in the introductions, I, I didn't catch most of the names because of the quality of the video as much as anything else, but um, I recognised Mr. Saito. Um, and Sheik Adnan as well. I thought doing little short sprints, pacing around the ring and wearing that headdress, he looked very Sabu-like. But that's my second and final ECW comparison to this show. Um, yeah, and, and then I put the ending of the match, the same as you two both mentioned, the mass superstar won with a swinging neck breaker, which is a move I still think of as Honky Tonk Man's shake, rattle and roll. Indeed. So I've just I've looked this up and actually those matches were him. So he, he was wrestling... Um, Believe it or not, in New Japan in 1974, um, which is under a different name. Um, but yeah, I think it must have been him by by that point um, in terms of the 1984 one. But yeah, so he's, he's, he was around for a long time. So I guess him, he was 47, so 57, 67, 77, 87. So he would have been 43 when he stopped being a regular, um, you know, regular person within demolition. I think his his last kind of. I think his last appearance in the company was the 1990 Survivor Series, from memory. Um, yeah, so he'd have been about old. 10 years older than his tag team partner then. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I'd never I, knew that. Absolutely. I didn't realise he was as old as that either. Um, so next up, Jim Ross pushing the January 13th show at the UNO Lakefront Arena. And this was a direct repeat of what had aired on the Mid-South show the day before. So, any, Mark, you're very welcome to add any thoughts on these promos. Obviously, you've watched these for the, the very first time. Yeah, I made quite a few notes, but that was I, I watched it a couple of weeks ago before you two went over this on last week's um, podcast episode. Um, Jim Ross took us to the break in one location um, and came back in another, and he was dressed differently. So obviously this was just for the live um, audience for this particular TV um, showing. Um, DBS's promo, he started by talking about how much damage a tape fist will do, but saying the tape will break the skin wide open, but I dispute that. I always thought the reason boxers and fighters tape their fists is to protect themselves from injury. Is that not right? Yeah, 100%. It has to stop their, their wrist from breaking and stuff. Yeah, yeah it, it wasn't really one of Ted's better promos, I don't think. And then Murdoch's promo after it, uh, he talked about DiBiase loading the glove and someone who hadn't been following the storyline, it could have come across like DiBiase, who said he was going to, bust him open was the heel and Murdoch who says you're a cheater could have been the baby face so it's a bit unclear there I thought yeah absolutely um skipping forward to the next match we had Terry Taylor versus Chris Adams with Bill Watts on commentary and this was from the convention center in Tulsa from way back on May the 26th 1985 so Bill talked about attending Chris Adams wedding by accident in what in Hawaii as they were staying at the same hotel by chance, and Chris asked Bill to join them and witness it, as there would be no one there for the rest of the time, which seemed to be a key um, driver in Bill actually attending this. And he said that he'd had champagne and also had a wonderful time. Bill Watts talked about how some fans get annoyed when they cut into a break, as they did here, but they need to realise that advertising money means that they can bring these matches into their home. So there, you stupid fans. Uh, lots and lots of holds in this. And I have to say, Bill Watts' commentary was far more entertaining what, than what he was actually describing. Um, Chris Adams took a really bad bump from a backdrop, sprang back to life, and then took Taylor's head off with a kick, which also somehow ended up with the referee going flying as well. Um, while the referee was down, Adams went to the top rope, which should have been an auto DQ. He went for the crossbody block, 
But Taylor rolled through. Uh, well, I say rolled through. He attempted to, but totally botched it. Um, but inexplicably, this still led to the pin in a very long 10 minutes and 41 seconds. Uh, and to be honest, any time I've seen Terry Taylor in a long match, he's not impressed me at all. Um, Dan, what did you think of this? Um, so, first of all, Pee Wee was back, refing. Yep. Um, the orange mat was horrendous <laughs> in the ring. That really stood out to me. It was really annoying. What? So you might have said, so I might miss it, but what belt does Adams have that? Uh, I think he would have had something in um, world class at this point, but I'm not sure. Because I mentioned he's got a belt, but it's not from the fans. I just didn't quite understand what that meant. It's not from uh, the fans. Yeah, Bill said it's, this isn't one awarded by the fans. Hmm, Whether that hmm. just means the fans ain't happy about him being a champion. It's amazing. Um, uh, and then NWA American champ, American heavyweight champion. Okay, so pretty big. Um, obviously, we've got the story about Bill Watts crashed in the wedding. Yep. Um, which that would have been a good film, wouldn't it? Wedding yeah. crashes, but Bill Watts and mm. his wife <laughs> rocking up in Hawaii. It's got to be Joel as well, surely. Crashing a wrestling wedding. I'll only come if my, well. if yeah, my boy can come and then Joel's bringing up the ring. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It would have been, that would have been some film, that would have been. Um, I was going to say, um, Taylor and Adams, so if you go back to what we saw before, sort of 84, 85, they bogged up, haven't they? They're yeah. Big, they're big units now. Um, also, Bill sort of really addressed the ad breaks. <laughs> yes. Which I really rated that, you know. Fair play. Like, this is this guy loves addressing the viewers' concerns. <laughs> right. And you know what? I just love the honesty. Well, we need these ad breaks to bring in these matches. So, tough, like, deal with it. Like, this is life. Yeah, exactly. I don't know, he, yeah. Lets you, he lets you behind the curtain, doesn't he, every so often, which I really rate. I mean, he, he always bases it on the fact that people are, that are writing in to him. Whether they are or not, I don't know. But who knows? We've just said before, Steve, you might, you'd be one of them people that probably would have written in. Absolutely. Uh, now yeah. you can just... Now you can just tweet, can't you? Yes. Um, you don't really see the head scissors submission anymore, um, which is banned in amateur wrestling. Don't know if you know that, but Bill made sure we all did. <laughs> um, also, they mentioned about Chris Adams' European style. I still don't know what that means. Well, I think it's like forearms and like British wrestling was a little bit different too. You didn't you get a lot of punches in British wrestling, so I guess it's kind of along those sort of lines. Okay. Because they mention it quite a lot, don't they? Um, yes. They dip, certainly did when he was on it before. Um, but he's a very athletic Adams. Great super kick. Um, I mean, yeah, great off the top rope. And then Taylor with, as you point, correctly pointed out, a very botched reversal. Mm. Do, do you know what? Like, you just think... <sighs> now, if that happens... I think they think on their feet a lot quicker than then. Yeah. If, if I had to think of something that's changed, I think, you know, you do, you don't get me wrong. You do sometimes get these matches where there'll be a botch finish and you go, why did you allow that? But I think if that had happened now between the two of them, they would have sorted it out a different ending. I think most, I think a lot like, of wrestlers like, would this have is done how it's ending, so that's how yeah. we're doing it. Yeah. Um, which is a bit of a shame because these two, these two guys are, are decent and uh, I quite enjoyed it. Um, uh, Mark, oh, but, sorry, but I think you're right. Sorry, the longer it went on, the more Taylor was struggling. Whereas I thought Adams got better as it went on. 
I think Adams might be, and I haven't seen enough of Adams really to judge, but I think he might be a, a level or two or three up from Taylor. Uh, what did you think of this oh, one, yeah. Mark? I think I, I made as as many, if not more, notes about Bill Watts' commentary than the match itself. Um, he started talking about what a great athlete Chris Adams was, using the fact that his brother was an Olympic medalist as an example. I thought that was odd, saying oh, his brother won an Olympic medal once. That's how good he is. Um, <laughs> yeah, that was first, amazing, actually. That was really good. <laughs> the first uh, minute or so of the match, Randy Anderson was doing most of the work. That They were teasing a handshake spot. And Anderson was running laps around and around the ring just to keep things moving, I think. And it was a nice way of adding a minute or two to the match. I put the same as uh, Dan mentioned earlier, the orange mat I found pretty distracting more than anything else. Um, another tangent Bill Watts went on was about how Leroy McGurk had told him about when head scissors were still legal in amateur wrestling, and he went off on that. Um, the match wasn't bad. What they were doing was fine, but I wasn't really feeling it. And then... There was the very botched ref bump. Um, Chris Adams' super kick was supposed to knock Taylor back into Anderson, but he missed him. Taylor's right arm maybe brushed Anderson's left arm, and that's been generous. Yeah. Um, but the idea of the bump and what happened next was great, though. Adams doing an illegal dive off the top rope because the referee's not looking, and Taylor rolling through and still got the pinfall. Um, that that uh, that was a good idea, and nothing wrong with that at all. Indeed. Uh, where are we? I've lost my place in my notes. Roberts and Reed versus Flair and Slater up next from Tulsa, which was taped on December the 18th, 1965. And then we got a repeat of the local promos that aired on the previous day's Mid-South show. Uh, and before the match, we got the briefest snippet of an advert from Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. And alas, I would love it if the full advert segments were on some of these shows in the future. Um, into the match itself, uh, Reed was still wearing the neck collar, which I do not think was a great look. Um, this did not prevent him from press slamming both of his opponents in the early going. And thereafter, he decided he didn't need it anymore and just threw it away. Um, this was at some points decent, some points good, but had an electric finish where after 11 minutes and 32 seconds, Jake Roberts rolled up NWA World Heavyweight Champion Ric Flair for the pin to an absolute eruption from the crowd who had sat through this and 10 other matches prior to this at the television taping, the first one in Tulsa. Uh, Flair and Slater started beating down Roberts, but they cut straight to Ross and didn't allude to this at all before going to break. Uh, Mark, first, what do you think of this match? Um I, I just want, I've made a couple of notes about the promos. I know you went over them last yeah, week. Yeah, no, go but, ahead, go ahead. Um, going back to the Jake Roberts one, um, I think you, you mentioned his exact quote, which was a guy like me, a guy with my background, a guy with my lifestyle, a guy with my habits, doesn't get a lot of shots at the world title. And I wasn't around in 1986 to know what the fans would think about hearing Jake say that, but I'm sure it wouldn't have been construed the same way as it sounds to fans in 2022 who know. No what the, that lifestyle and those habits were. Um, Dick Slater's promo was the usual nonsense. Uh, at one point, he pointed at the title belt and said, this is the prime, prime title holder of all time. That didn't make sense. Um, Terry Taylor's promo. He didn't cut a lot of promos in his previous Mid-South run, but I remember two years ago saying that his delivery in 1984 seemed a bit nervous and like he lacked confidence. And I definitely heard improvement in that aspect here, even though he wasn't saying much of note, his delivery was better. And then the match itself, I thought Watts, Bill Watts was a bit off his game this this week. Um, 
like when Flair got the figure four on Butch Reed, he said Butch's Achilles tendon is his knees. Um, he's got a bit mixed up with his metaphors there. The Achilles heel is the expression of somebody's weak spot, whereas an Achilles tendon is an actual part of the body that's not in your knees. Um, he mentioned a few times how he hopes somebody will give Dark Journey what she deserves, but he didn't go into detail, whatever that is. And at the end there, Robert Scott Flair with the schoolboy roll up for the three count and the crowd went absolutely wild. But um, Watts shouted out, Ric Flair has defeated Jake Roberts and Butch Reed. Um, and then the post-match beatdown with Flair and Slater, both on Jake, was just about to start when Bill Watts threw back to Jim Ross and uh, we didn't see what happened next. Dan, what do you think of this? Yeah, so, um, yeah, with this one, obviously you mentioned Reed still rocking the neck brace, uh, which just falls off straight away. What? It's just a waste of time, this. Um, and then Bill, come back to him, I remember we done an episode not so long ago where Bill is just waxing lyrical about Ric Flair. Like, this is the best, this is the most elite, da da da, da. And then now he's like, oh, Flair won't wrestle in Mid-South again, uh, to which I thought I never liked Ric Flair anyway. So, <laughs> good. Um, but Bill, complete 180-degree turn on him. Um, although I would say one thing, one of the things that Bill was annoyed about was that Ric Flair chooses where he wants to wrestle, which I just, and it's a form of blackmail, he called it, um, which I sort of thought Bill is really confer, com, sort of comparing a wrestler having freedom to blackmail, i.e. a wrestler should be hell-bound to whatever he wants him to do. I want you here. He's not really very promoting freedom of movement around wrestlers. I think he wants everyone <laughs> under his, you know, maybe this is an early... Brexit means Brexit. Uh, yeah, sort of vibe. I mean, yeah, he was like, yeah, he's able to do what he wants and go where he likes. It's sort of blackmail. Well, no, it's not blackmail. It's just he's it's a just champion. Not slave. It's just not slavery either. He's not <laughs> bound. He doesn't have to do whatever you tell him to do. Uh, you know, you know, he's he's not a dog. Um, <laughs> but anyway, um, but classic flair um, with the just before he made the tag when he dropped to his face. Now, I've never liked Ric Flair. Not a fan of him. Can I just ask you two guys? The Ric Flair cell where he. Does like exactly what he does. Flair he goes flop. to the tag and just Rito falls on his face. Why was why is this always being accepted and not being like this is a joke? This is embarrassing. This guy has always been top of the tree or up there. Yet this thing he does is ridiculous. It is looks stupid. It is crazy. Yet what everyone just turns a blind eye to it. What do you think, Mark? Me to be honest, I remember when he started in WWF in 1991. He was already. He'd been wrestling 20 years or so by then, and he did it. And I remember as a 12-year-old kid thinking, well, that's stupid. What's he do that for, even yeah. then? So, yeah, I've got I've got no defence for that. I'm sure it worked over a period of time because he kept doing it over and over, but it wasn't working in the early 90s, certainly. What do you think, Steve? I don't know. I think that Dan and I have talked about Ric Flair on this show, uh, and I kind of get into the point now where... He, I, the more I see of some of the stuff of his that isn't the stuff that is supposedly his top stuff, like the steamboat matches and all that sort of stuff, I just kind of think that, and, and some of this is booking, 
Uh, we watched a match with him. Who was the match, Dan, on the um, that awful WCW on NWA show that we watched when he had a, when he had like a twenty minute match with someone, then it was like a DQ or something at the end. I can't remember who his opponent was, but it was just it was dire. He was awful. He spent, I know he's a heel world champion, but he just wasn't. He wasn't very legitimate. I thought in some of this stuff. Um, and obviously, we've seen to, like the Funk match, the Steamboat matches, the Window matches, incredible. But some of the other stuff, I don't think it was very good. And I don't remember too many. If you compare, I think a lot of people compare him with Bret Hart. And if you watch, I don't think there's too much stuff you could pick out of Bret Hart that wasn't good. And I don't. And I and, I, and some of that with Flair is just you know the bad booking and stuff. But some of that's just just his kind of routine and the things that he would do. And some of that I think is on him for for you know, maybe not sticking up for himself a bit more when he was world champion. But I don't know, that as time goes on, I very much respect Flair and I like, well, his wrestling ability, um, given some of the stuff that's come out in recent recent months and times. Let's just clarify that bold and underline. But I do I do think that actually, you know, perhaps he wasn't as good as people make out. And then I, when I think of some of the some of the Japanese stuff I've seen, again, I, I kind of feel like in my mind, he's definitely not top five. And he might be top 10, but he's not anywhere near top five. With Bret Hart, I, I can't think of any specific sources or places I've seen it, but I, I know it's been said often that in his, in his main singles run, he was criticised as taking it easy on the house shows and doing the, the good TV matches and pay-per-views. I'm sure mm. that's come up in books or documentaries or whatever. And Ric Flair was the exact opposite. He says himself, and other people have said about him, some of his best matches were the untelevised stuff that nobody outside of that arena will ever see. And the fact that he was doing it five, six nights a week is what let for a prolonged period of time, I think is what got him to the point where people consider him either the greatest of all time or one of the greatest of all time. I can't vouch for either myself. I'd only seen one or two untelevised Brett matches when I used to go watch and uh, not a lot of Flair's untelevised matches either, but I think that's where the reputations were cemented. Not just the big pay-per-views, but the rest of what they did in yeah, their and career. I, and I think that's a really good, really, really, really good point, actually. Because if you compare, let's compare Ric Flair with uh, Kazuchika Okada, right? So Flair was doing singles matches. How many singles matches in a year? 300? Maybe 325? Yeah. yeah. Whereas Okada probably does... 10 actually more than that with the g1 sorry more than that with the g1 so there's nine in the g1 the rest of the year is probably eight 20 max 20 max 20 yeah. max and that is a very a tanahashi is the same so if you if you you could go look at cage match and tanahashi all, all of their all of their kind of house show stuff if you like which is a bit of a different system in japan is tags so that's very very different and 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 you're not i think being uh, fair to flair, you know, back, back to the 92 World Rumble. You're, you're comp- I'm comparing apples with oranges there because it's not the same thing. So the traveling world champ, Brett and Flair is a fair, fair, uh, um, yeah, comparison. But anyway, off we're off, we're off on a I'll maybe say with, with, I'll say maybe with Flair as well, it's you know, yeah, that that moves silly, but he's 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 working every day and he's just it's a bit of an it's that's the element of his performance, it's the entertainment value. That he falls like that, you know, gets it was, some it was still like, getting a crowd reaction in the 2000s. Yeah. that spot, so yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a bit, yeah, you know, it's a bit like I would watch it and, and it'd anger me, but someone else might watch it and like it. And as long as you're getting a reaction, you're uh, what they say, as long as someone's talking about you, whether good or bad, 
you're, you're, you're relevant, right? So um, my last point would just be, well, match-wise, obviously this match can, given the ending, sets up future feuds. Very good for that, I think. You've got a lot of angles you can go on here. Um, but I've done a little thing about Dark Journey. She's quite, she's a good valet, right? She, I think she's quite good. Like, we've done a couple of shows recently where I think she's, she, um, she gets involved at the right time. Yeah. She's, she's, yeah. she's quite good. I, I quite rate her. So I had a little look to see what else she'd done from this. And she was originally a a, a, a stripper. I can't even think of another word. Exotic uh, dancer. I think that's a good Exotic dancer. Yeah. Who met and she met um, Slater uh, while she was at work. Okay. And become, and become his other half. And that's why she was the valet for him. And then when he left the promotion, she then apparently teamed up with, I think it was Missing Link, I think. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Somewhere. And she ended up having sort of a little bit of a feud with, oh, I can't remember who it said now. Um, Oh, um, Missy Hyatt somewhere down the line as well. Um, And then she she stopped. And... uh, she went from being a valet and she trained and she is now currently a colon hydrotherapist. Um, So she started off as a stripper and now she cleans out, you know, I think we all know what a colon hydrotherapist is and that's what she does. And that is wrestling for you. You've got some people, but she's American wrestling valet to colon hydrotherapist. There you go. I think if you can find me when we've ever done someone's, um, wrestling before and after timeline better than that I want to hear about it because I don't think there is one <laughs> Damn. yeah when yeah. when Slater and Dark Journey debuted last year I, I did a bit of similar research and um, yeah she had no ties you're, to the you're, wrestling you're, you're, booked in, you're booked in for next week <laughs> she, had, she had no ties to the wrestling business at all until she met Dick Slater he brought her in as oh you can be my manager now and then the things with her and Slater didn't work out and she actually forged a decent career in wrestling, which uh, I know people like Jim Cornette only have positive things to say about her and yeah. what she did in wrestling. So it's quite a good story all around, really. I remember the first time, um, well, I've actually only been on once, but I'll get, get one again, potentially, when Poyo Delmar was on, um, talking about Dark Journey and how positive um, about her. And I, yeah, I think I think she's been great so far. Looking forward to seeing more of her stuff. And Dan, I thought you handled that excellently, start to finish in that Thank story. You. So obviously the sensitivity training we talked about the darts is, uh, is playing <laughs> off, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> uh, Mark, I don't know, have, we talked to, have you talked about this match yet? Because we've gone off online. I can't remember whether you talked yeah, about Yeah, I mentioned a bit, yeah. Okay, great, great. So, so to close the show, uh, it's the one we've all been waiting for. It's Buzz Sawyer's brother, Brett Wayne Sawyer versus Broadway <laughs> Joe Mal. Welcome. Brett got a good ovation from the Myriad crowd on New Year's Eve 85. Uh, Watts talks about Brett not believing in Buzz's tactics, but he would support him, but has asked not to be booked against his brother, and he wants the fans to judge him for how he behaves in the ring. And Watts said they bring athletes of all sizes in Mid-South, not just the Giants. Brett hit a flip and some sort of leg thing on Malcolm, which basically involved him doing a somersault and hitting the mat and his opponent having his leg barely moved. And they say wrestling is will look more realistic in 1985. I really hope that Watts asked him never to do this again and find him after seeing for the first time. Uh, Wayne, who looked, I thought looked decent throughout this, 
climbed outside the ring and then back over the top rope to get on the middle rope, which made no sense, then hit an awful splash for the opponent far too far away for the winning 357. And Mark, what do you think of this? Um, yeah, first time I've seen Brett Sawyer. And um, as it was the different ring announcer started his introductions, I saw a long-haired guy stood in one corner and then a short-haired, big-chested guy pacing back and forth in the other I immediately assumed that second guy must be Buzz Sawyer's brother because he looks just like Buzz, uh, but I got that the wrong way around. Um, it was an odd finish, I thought, where Sawyer had gone outside as though he was going to climb to the top rope like Adams did earlier, but he actually climbed over the top rope and onto the second rope from the outside, something you don't see very often. I know top rope moves were banned, so it does make sense, but it looked pretty strange. And then he died three quarters of the way across the ring with a splash only just reached his opponent. I think it would have looked far more impressive as the, if the opponent was a bit closer and he landed it properly. Um, but yeah, that was the finish and that was that. That was that. Dan, what did you think of this? Um, yeah, so I was going to sort of mention about Broadway Joe having his initials on his shorts, but I've just done some sensitivity training and discussing at length Broadway Joe having his initials on his shorts is something that I'm now not... I've now told to, I should I should not talk about. Um, <laughs> I thought I thought I thought um, I thought Brett looked very much like a like Jr. Uh, oh, I can't remember. I if, like, yeah. In the face, um, he was an explosive junior heavyweight um, with a gut. So, but however, I yeah, they didn't have great thing, bodies, did he? Yeah, he was, these, yeah, yeah, he was fairly athletic though. He was fairly yeah. athletic. Drop kicks. He's, I mean, when he set that guy up, it reminded me, you know, when Shane McMahon does the coast to coast or whatever, and you'd be like, you're never going to make it. I thought, oh, maybe he will make it because, you know, I remember Shane only ever just made it, didn't he? Made that trash can or whatever. I mean, he was nowhere near, was he? Let's be honest. Um, I think I, I think I saw he, it was sort of knee, then the head. But do you know what? Fair play for trying it. Second off the second rope, he's still got pretty far. Um, but yeah, other than that, um, he looked fine. But I suspect that Buzz would demolish him, really, if they did do a brother of brother. But um, yeah, perhaps, that, perhaps we've got that to look forward to. Who um, knows? Who knows? I thought this was pretty interesting to look back on it. And it was kind of a patchwork quilt of different wrestling from different times without the emphasis on storyline advancement that the main show has. Um, We'll certainly dip into. There's a few Power Pro Wrestlings in the in the archives that when we haven't got mid sale television shows, um, so we will look at these again. Um, Mark, what did you think of this uh, look back at mid south Power Pro Wrestling? Um, there was a lot of small differences from the Irish McNeil BC era, um, and I can't say any of them I thought were an improvement. Really, um, the arena was very dark, so you couldn't see the crowd. The bright orange mat was a bit distracting. They only had one host, uh, Jim Ross, instead of the usual two. He had a plain, boring background behind him instead of the logo. There was only one commentator instead of the usual two. They had advert breaks in the middle of matches. Um, and the wrestling was decent, if unspectacular. Um, and it was broken up by uh, some pretty uh, underwhelming promos. Dan, what do you think? So big fan then, Mark, yeah? <laughs> Mark's, um, Mark, patreon.com forward slash Mid-South Moments is Mark's 
one man review of every single Power <laughs> Wrestling episode in, in history is coming up soon. <laughs> um, I, I, I had, um, I think I had a lot of questions at the start of this show. Um, however, the card was pretty stacked with talent, and I thought there was some good wrestling. Um, and, I, and, I, and I've ended it thinking maybe, maybe, maybe just maybe, I might like this. Maybe. Um, I would say what I did, what I did like, uh, just as a side, is the credits come up, didn't they? Yeah. And, and um, I don't know if you watch it, but um, the executive producer was the producer was William F. Watts Jr. Like <laughs> um, the normal producer was Joel Watts, and then. And then when it done the whole credits, when it got to the end, I realized only three names were quoted on the credits. So there's only three people getting credit for this whole promotion, which was Willie F. Watts Jr., Bill, Joel, and Arvon Guruski, right? Which when I put into Google, it just come up and said, did you mean Ryan Giggs? <laughs> um, and I don't think uh, so. I don't know what happened to Arvon Giruski, um, but um, unless he did magic, unless he did start playing for Man United down the left wing, I I don't think maybe we, knocking off his brother's right. missus. Yeah, wow. yeah. Well, Mark, yeah. you need to go on some training, mate. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I just I do like the idea that they've literally done credits and <laughs> when the whole credits, I would like to give thanks to ourselves just to yeah. bring us <laughs> find brilliant absolutely brilliant um but yeah as i said i think there's a there's potential here um if i can get my head around it not being mid-south which is just my own thing excellent well well i don't know what we're doing next week so just look out on twitter um <laughs> and thank you very much for listening as always thank you dan thank you mark and we shall speak to you all again very soon Hello, everybody. I am Ricky Morton of the Rock and Roll Express. And if you would like to purchase some merchandise from World's number one Mid-South Wrestling Podcast, check it out, all the products. That's on redbubble.com, people, Mid-South Moments. They have everything from T-shirts, phone cases, mugs. Remember now, redbubble.com, people, Mid-South Moments. Thanks very much, Ricky. And that link again is redbubble.com forward slash people forward slash mid south moments.